Yeah, I think loneliness has been such a big theme over the last year and a half in particular. Um, that internet connection does not mean human connection. That even though we're so connected by phones, I think face-to-face contact has definitely been limited in the last year. And I think a lot of people really feel that isolation. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today. If you're listening today, this is our first episode of Ask the Therapist. And today I am joined by Aoife, who's a therapist in Dublin. Hi, Aoife. Hi, James. (laughs) Nice to have you with us today. Thanks for inviting me on. Do you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'll keep this short and sweet. So I feel like nearly waving here, but just (laughs) hi, everyone. My name is Aoife and I'm a therapist based in Dublin. Uh, I'm a member of the Irish Association of Counseling and Psychotherapy and here I'm just answering some questions about therapy and mental health. Thank you for being with us today. Before we start the show, I'm going to play my typical one-for-one questions. So I ask you, I give you a word and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. (laughs) Yeah? Okay. Things might get a bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 You ready? Yep. The first one is mindset. I'm gone blank, so I'm going to say blank. (laughs) (laughs) And second one is healing. Power. Recovering. Support. Brave. Vulnerability. And the last one is love. Doggles. (laughs) (laughs) What was the last one? So dogs. I always call dogs doggles now. Okay, my word was love. Love, yeah, love dog. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's great. Sorry, that was the openness out of the way. Sorry. <laughs> so the way this will work is I've compiled a number of questions from people and I'm just going to ask you the questions and we'll get an expert opinion on the questions that I have. Yeah? Yeah, yeah ready? Okay. Sounds great. First question. Hi, Aoife. How can I help a friend or a colleague when they start having a panic attack in front of me? Mm. I suppose maybe what I should have said at the start here is that with any of these, that the way I work anyways is that not one size fits all. So maybe to anyone who's listened to this, that maybe some of these things that I'll say will resonate with you and then maybe some things won't and that's okay. 
and with any of these scenarios or questions it might be useful to speak to a mental health profession to help you through any of this but um yeah it's really hard sitting with someone who's perhaps experiencing a panic attack i think before someone has a panic attack what might be useful is to even ask them what might help you or what doesn't help you because for everyone it'll be so different so some someone might really like maybe having you know affirmations that you know you're okay this will pass you're safe where someone else it might be the last thing they want to hear that you know it might be like you don't know what i'm feeling or yeah. You know, it might be the last thing, words might be the last thing someone needs. So perhaps maybe it's having a conversation if you know someone who's prone to having panic attacks to maybe just ask what does help you or what doesn't help you might be useful. So then I guess during the panic attack itself, again, what might be useful is it to maybe give someone a hug? Is it comfort? Is it a blanket? Is it space? Just to try to be with that person which is really hard for both people to just sit with someone one of the last things i think might be helpful to someone is to say just breathe because that person might be struggling so much to breathe okay that or even if you're shouting just breathe at that person like if you're getting panicked too then that might not be the most helpful thing so i think being a calm presence can be really useful but that's also really difficult for both people to maybe be that calm presence Yes, yes, I can. I'm trying to think myself, what would I do in that situation? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. It's one of those things yeah. you might think I might be able to handle it better until you're in that situation. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of time we want to find the right words and the right mm. things. And sometimes just witnessing or being with someone is so powerful. So not to underestimate maybe what that might mean to that person that you're able to just sit with them and just try not to fix it but just be in there and perhaps maybe just to note that after the panic attack for both people it's really important to mind yourselves after it as well so usually when people experience a panic attack after it they can feel absolutely exhausted because you're after experiencing so much maybe adrenaline different sensations worry panic so for the person who has experienced a panic attack to just mind yourself. So whether that's just, let's say, as you said, maybe as a colleague at work, maybe it's taking an extra long break or going outside getting some fresh air. Maybe it's even going home if things are really tough. And also for the person who has also witnessed it as well, just to recognize what came up for you, because it's really scary seeing that and perhaps not even know what a panic attack is and perhaps is it are they maybe having a heart attack as well mm. so just also mind yourself with that as well yeah thank you thank you oh i'm trying to kiss i wouldn't know what to do touch wood i'm never in that situation <laughs> yeah second question hi Eva. is it normal to feel guilty about not recovering fast enough and um, i know everyone's journey is different but sometimes I feel like okay. I shouldn't be a burden to other people with my mental illness. Yeah, there, there's a lot in that question. Even what you mentioned there about, you know, fast enough. Just to say if someone was coming to me, maybe a client who's coming to me about that, I'd be exploring what is fast enough or what are your expectations? And I think comparison is definitely the thief of joy that when we see maybe other people who appear to be recovering or maybe healing faster mm -hmm. and kind of using inverted commas with this, 
uh, that can maybe create an extra layer of suffering to ourselves that gosh why am I like that or why can I feel like that but it sounds like that person recognizes that yes everyone's journey is so different as well and no two people are the same as well so just to maybe remember that but again I come back to what are your expectations of fast enough and maybe something I would also explore is is this maybe a theme in other parts of your life so is there maybe a theme of that maybe my career isn't moving fast enough that my job isn't my career my job isn't moving fast enough my relationships aren't moving fast enough what's your relationship yourself with that you know do you feel like you are good enough or is there also this pressure of maybe having to be better all the time as well so what I'm trying to answer with these questions here is that there's maybe not just one right or wrong answer it's not just black and white there's loads of different other areas and levels to it yeah yeah so it's more what do you want from it like if if I'm trying to do especially when it comes to recovery if someone I know it took them six months for example to get to where they want to be and a year later I'm still not there so it's more of stop being hard on yourself and look at what you want instead of looking for expecting it to be like the other people yeah so a lot of self-compassion with that and it's so hard not to compare but if you think about any two people no two person has even with twins they don't have the exact same experience or friends or you know past you know experiences as they said so maybe just to bury that in mind as well but i think it's really hard not to bear you know not to feel that sometimes Mm -hmm. and you know social media has such a big impact on that as well what we see online and even what I would hear a lot as well is that maybe someone is walking down the street and they feel like in their own head and their own body, there's so much going on. My mind is racing. My body feels like, you know, I'm about to have a panic attack. And how come no one else is like that? But what do you see? You see maybe someone walking down the street there. You can't see what's inside their head or you don't know what's going on for them. But I think a lot of the time we feel that perhaps we're mind readers and we know that everyone else is fine and it's just me. A lot of time, it's not just you. Mm, yeah, a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, question number three. How can I forgive my parents for emotionally neglecting me as a child? Ever since I realized it, it, I realized it happened. There's been a lot of sadness, anger, disappointment towards them. Yeah. Again, another tough and quite a big question. Um, mm. <laughs> For that forgiveness, it's it's such a difficult thing. And what I'm sensing from this person as well is that there's a loss going on for maybe how they've seen their parents before and to what they're maybe seeing their parents now. So I think often when we're younger, we see our parents as maybe these like godlike figures and they know everything and, you know, they don't do anything wrong. And then I think when we get older, we see that our parents are more humans as opposed to maybe superhuman and they make mistakes. Mm. And that can be sometimes hard. It's almost like a disenfranchised grief. So what I say by that, it's it's like a loss that we don't, it's not socially recognized or maybe even validated. So maybe other losses like a bereavement, people can understand that. But maybe this loss of how we thought our parents were, what they did for us, and now we see them in a different light. There's a grief to that and as that person says there's anger there's sadness there's all those emotions 
So maybe going back to the original question about forgiveness as well, I think true forgiveness can only really come when you really feel all them feelings, the anger, the hurt, the sadness, all those feelings. I think they have to be felt first before we can reach forgiveness. I think that's one step Mm. that's really important. And even acknowledging with yourself the parts of you that doesn't want to forgive you know, what's that about? Because I think a lot of us, we feel, well, myself, I can definitely say, anyways, that parts of me when I don't want to forgive someone, it might feel that maybe feels like that they've won or they've gotten won over me. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that, you definitely, know, yeah. <laughs> if, if I don't forgive them, well, they won't do it again. But, you know, regardless if you forgive or not, or you get an apology or not, it doesn't stop someone from doing that again, which I think is really important to realize or your own healing or that forgiveness. It doesn't require someone else's participation for that to happen. Yeah, forgiveness is very, it's a very tough one. I think we find, especially in this case where it's yeah. the parent, it's not like a colleague yeah. that would go away if you like you know that way <laughs> you don't have to see them most times yeah, but when it's yeah. in a family it could be very tough yeah could be very tough yeah it's quite mm. complex and I think if that person is maybe if this is something new for them and they're feeling quite vulnerable maybe it's to look at maybe the relationship with their family that you know if they're still hoping to maybe get that emotional validation from them by keep seeking this when you're feeling quite open or vulnerable is this actually going to be helpful for you right now maybe for the moment while you're working on this piece it is to maybe part that aside and maybe maybe it's not your parents you go to looking for maybe emotional validation maybe it's someone else and that's okay as well so maybe it's putting that boundary that maybe right now when I go and you know look for this from my family that I'm not getting it and that hurts me even more maybe that's not helpful right now maybe in time it's something you can work through with your parents yeah. which would be great but maybe if maybe just not right now thank you question number yeah question number four hi if it, i was wondering if you could talk about emotional numbness and not being able to cry and i always want to find i always find myself struggling with showing emotions while talking to loved ones I feel like I'm going to be saying that's at the start of every question, but there's a lot to this <laughs> that, again, is not so black and white. But some things that have popped out for me from that question is maybe even going back to earlier experiences around emotions, especially something like crying. What were the messages given to you about crying? So I know there, you know, about any emotion. So, you know, there can be a lot of messages about, you know, big boys don't cry or you don't need to cry, stop crying. Yeah. Maybe even with girls, it might be like girls don't fight, those kind of things. So I think for this person, it's maybe to explore what were the messages given to me around emotions. And it mightn't be so much as direct as that, but maybe if you did go to a parent upset and they weren't able to show up for you, then what does that say? Does it feel like, oh, maybe my problems are too big. Maybe I shouldn't be feeling like this, so I'll just push this down. So that's one thing that might be, you know, somewhere good to start around that, just about that question. Yeah. And do you think that's something that could stem from early childhood, as in when you express your tears, if you like, when you cried, you were told, um, stop crying. Yeah. (laughs) And you've just learned not to cry. Yeah, it's definitely possible if you're constantly told not to cry, then 
I think we can learn not to cry or maybe there's something wrong with me for crying or it's not acceptable to cry. So yeah, I think most definitely it could have an impact. And another thing that has come to me is even, you know, have you ever seen your parents cry? That could be a big thing as well. Or even that idea of, you know, being vulnerable or showing emotions. How do you witness that growing up? It's kind of like a language almost, emotions. And so let's just say, how are you supposed to learn a language if you've never been taught it? So how are you supposed to learn Japanese if no one has ever spoken it to you or modeled it to you? And I think a lot of time that can be the same with emotions as well. How are you supposed to express or know how to be vulnerable if this was never modeled to you? You've never seen it, yeah. One thing I never thought of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suppose with children, they, if they see, like with experiences, if they see it happening, they'll pick it up from that. And if the parents yeah. didn't display any emotions, they probably don't know what it's like until adulthood. And you find yourself wondering, why can't I let it tears out? <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think with a lot of emotions, they'll only come up in safe spaces as well. Yeah. So if for so long it doesn't feel safe or, you know, depending on the person, if it doesn't feel like it's the right person, then it probably won't come out and that's okay too. But yeah, children are definitely sponges, which I don't think people really realize how much we absorb from such a young Mm. age and how we bring that into our adult life. And maybe as a child, this was okay and we needed to do this to survive. But as an adult, does this still serve us? Yes. Yeah. A lot of traits that we did as children we're still carrying to adults and you don't know why (laughs) even it's not until you start something like yeah Yeah. and it's like oh my god this way it came from yeah yeah (laughs) and um next question hi if it had sorry let me start again next question do you have any tips on how to stay calm during a task that makes you anxious Mm, yeah So what I would say to someone like that is, again, it's exploring, it's exploring the person, but it is to find what works for that person. But what I usually recommend, just let's say something like today, like here we're doing a podcast and I can definitely say like I've been nervous. So maybe for me, what I did before is before actually coming here, trying to find different ways to just ground myself and be okay. So what I mean by grounding myself So there's lots of different grounding techniques. So if you think about anxiety, a lot of anxiety has to do about the future as opposed to what's actually going on here and now. So it's trying to bring yourself to this exact moment here and now to just feel okay in yourself. So maybe it's using your senses. So maybe it's feeling your feet on the floor. Maybe it's connecting to your breath. Maybe it's just even saying what you see around you. So I think a lot of grounding techniques are really good because they bring you right back to the here and now. And I often find that the challenge with grounding techniques is not so much to do them, but actually to remember to do them. That sometimes we're gone down the rabbit hole and we don't realize we're way down that rabbit hole, but it's actually to remember to actually bring ourselves to the here and now. So what might be useful is to have reminders to do the grounding techniques. So it might be like a visual reminder, perhaps maybe a sticker, maybe a piece of jewellery. It might be an image on your phone, your laptop. It might even be an alarm to just remember to spend a minute to breathe, something like that. I think that's often the challenge with grounded techniques is actually to remember to do them. Yeah. Would this be 
when would sorry so you obviously have to practice it so would you be kind of implementing it into your day with, before you get to the point where you're like it's t- it's too much so even yeah. if you're not feeling that way you can still practice yeah. yeah for sure i think for a lot of people it can be useful to do grounding techniques or any kind of self-care not just when you're feeling crap in yourself but when you're also feeling good or even feeling in the middle it's almost like if you think of a fire that if you're in the middle of a panic attack or anxiety attack and then you're trying all these breathing techniques while the fire is already going out it's going to take a longer time to come and just feel at that baseline Mm. so before just let's say for me today thinking about doing this podcast i started to feel a little bit nervous but i wasn't full-blown pulling out my hair (laughs) or crying or whatever so when I kind of notice this in myself, it's like, okay, what do I need to do for myself? So maybe it's a walk, maybe some movement, some yoga, some breathing before I get to that state of, oh my God, I just want the ground to swallow yeah, me up right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, suppose. Pr- practice, practice in good times, <laughs> in quiet times, yeah, yeah. Exactly. so you're more prepared. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next question. Hi, if what can I do when I already had a lot of therapy and I would get along with myself a lot better, but I'm still unable to, I'm still unable to get my life in order, which prevents me from finally breaking free. Mm. So some of the things just in that, what does breaking free mean for that person is one thing. And even, you know, that idea of maybe finishing therapy, but also feeling you don't have your life together. What does it mean to have your life together as well? So if that person is coming to me, I'd be definitely exploring, you know, what does it mean? What what are your expectations of having your life together? And even again, if this was my client, maybe just exploring that ambivalence that I want to finish therapy, but there's part of me that doesn't want to finish therapy. So what's going on there what parts do you want to stay what part he was worried about finishing because like ending therapy it's like ending any relationship it can feel like maybe there's a loss there's a grief there's a worry how will i cope without this person so i think it's definitely to explore what's coming up with the idea of maybe finishing therapy but where do you think or what were your expectations of finishing therapy yeah is that because after many sessions you 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 rely on it if you like and if that support goes away the panic start to set like what do i do now <laughs> yeah i think if you think about it no more than maybe a child with a parent that when we're younger you know we spend so much time and this is just like a, a general example you know everyone has different caregivers growing up but if you spend a lot of time with your parent and then you're maybe moving to school that you're moving away from the parent it's like how that transition can be so scary sometimes and it's just to acknowledge them feelings as well okay what is coming up for you and what things will maybe make this transition a bit easier and maybe just even acknowledging that if you are having a tough time then of course you can come back that it doesn't mean it's goodbye forever and if you need some extra support then yeah let's work on that or even it can be a gentle trial and error what would it be like to give a month's break mm. or if you're seeing your therapist every week what would it be like to maybe change it every two weeks or three weeks and even to explore you know therapists we do take holidays really as well so what's it like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so e- <laughs> 
So what is it like when, you know, there is a gap in sessions? Do you ever find that challenging or difficult as well? And how do you overcome that? Because when you think about it, therapy is only maybe 50 minutes an hour once a week. So how do you navigate all the other hours in your week? Because it sounds like somehow you find a way through it. And, you know, what are those supports or what do you do yeah. to get through those times? Yeah, I suppose an hour a week and then you have the rest of the week to kind of navigate yourself around so that could be an attachment issue as well they might have an attachment issue with relying on someone yeah sometimes yeah definitely you could definitely and again i just really explore that you know because we all have different attachment styles and you know different relationships and almost Mm. like different states of attachment i feel as well so I think it's just exploring that as well, that of course, maybe if someone has been there and has been support for you and the idea of them leaving you, what's that like? And especially if you've had past experiences of maybe someone leaving you, someone who's been really close, a good support and they're gone. What's that like to experience as well? So, yeah, I'd just be really curious about it all, that it doesn't mean what you're feeling is wrong or it means you're weak or you're too reliant that you know we have to we do what we have to do to survive and over time it's about expanding our supports as well for me that's the whole aim of therapy that it's not just having maybe your partner or maybe it's the gym whoever it is that over time it's about Mm. expanding them supports that you have essentially a toolkit of different things to reach out to when you do need a bit of help super Um, next question hi if what can i do to stop internalizing anger I don't even realize it anymore. When I get angry at someone, I turn it against myself instead. It's really, it mightn't feel really great, but it's really great that this person can recognize that they internalize the anger because anger, like any emotions, emotions need motion. So they need to move in some kind of way. And if we do suppress them or don't let them out, we internalize them in some way. So it's really good that this person, first of all, can recognize that. Um, and anger, I think as well, can feel like it's a really difficult emotion for a lot of people that, again, maybe you've been told that you're not allowed to fight or people think of anger equals violence. But anger can be a really good emotion. It can really come up, you know, if there's an injustice or just to even protect yourself. It's a really good emotion. So for this person, it's finding a way that feels right for you to release that anger. So. For some people, it might be something like journaling, that it might be, you know, writing that out on paper, whatever your thoughts, the feelings with it. And something that I found useful, if you're writing out something that's really difficult, whether it's anger or something really sad, it's generally not useful to hold on to maybe that piece of paper and keep rereading it and, you know, reliving it almost because then it's almost like being back in that situation and you might get the same kind of physical sensations so what might be useful is if you write out you know whatever your anger is about and then maybe burn it or shred it or get rid of it okay there can be something nice about that and also it doesn't mean that once you've done that once that all your anger is gone you (laughs) might still have lots of other anger yeah so you can always you know come back to it and revisit it and again it mightn't be useful to hold on to it and just that idea of letting it go Mm. that could be one thing yeah writing and writing some people love it and some people don't and that's okay so again coming back to finding a way that works for this person so if it's not writing maybe it's exercise maybe it is 
having something like a squishy toy maybe it's something art so maybe creating an artistic kind of piece and again it doesn't have to be this amazing masterpiece it can be anything that just feels right for you to just release it getting out of the body somehow and um, it can be music it can be chatting to someone about yeah. it there's so many different ways and it's finding a way that works for you yeah so the worst thing you can do is hold it in yeah yeah for sure i think when we hold in anger hold on anger it hurts us more than perhaps the other person yeah and especially if you're angry about something you can't control at all yeah you're just sitting there building up all this (laughs) rage (laughs) inside of yeah yeah it's really important to try to release it somehow so i'm learning a lot tonight today (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad to hear it (laughs) yeah i'm trying to put myself in the scenarios like what do I do when this happens to me? Okay. <laughs> Next question. Hi, if I'm 18 and I feel so lonely. My parents don't believe in therapy and I think I'm suffering from this. Yeah, I think loneliness has been such a big theme over the last year and a half in particular. Um, that internet connection does not mean human connection. That even though we're so connected by phones, I think face-to-face contact has definitely been limited in the last year and I think a lot of people really feel that isolation and with this person in particular because they're 18 the really good thing is they actually don't need their parents consent to like on a, on a from a legal point of view they don't need their parents legal consent to attend therapy so that's really good if someone was under 18 it might be a bit more difficult because they'd need their parents to just sign off to attend But for this person, I would question how useful would it be to, you know, tell your parents that you're going to therapy. Again, this is very generalized, Mm. but is it actually useful to involve them in that process at the start when you're trying to find your feet and trying to understand just the whole thing about it as well? So maybe it's to reach out to friends or trying to find maybe resources, websites, professionals, to try to understand it for yourself and maybe in time it's opened up the conversation with your parents and I think with any of these conversations about her mental health it's choosing the right time the right place the right people to support you mm. so would you say do a bit of research yourself and then approach your parents not necessarily I think it's for the person to know. And again, I don't know this person or with any of these, I don't know this per- any of mm. these people's individual experiences. But maybe for yourself, it's finding, especially if you're feeling, you know, that you're going through a lot, it's finding the right people to support that. And maybe in time, and when I say in time, it doesn't have to be the next month, the next year. It could be way down the line that maybe it's opening the conversations. But I think for this person... The most important thing is to look after themselves and support themselves and finding the right people for that right now. Maybe in time it's your parents, maybe it's not, but cross that bridge when you come to it. Yes, yes, definitely, yeah. Try and focus on what you can do. Yeah. Next question. Hi, Aoife, any tips on how to squash anxiety when I feel it coming on? It sounds something similar to what we're saying before about trying to yeah yeah strike when the iron is cold that kind of saying that <laughs> I think you know a little goes a long way so just having whatever it is to support you before it comes on so 
you know, having different habits, whether it's exercise or journaling, self-care things, those kind of things, have them in place before feeling they come on. And sometimes we can do all those things and you might still feel anxious, but it's how you react to that as well is really important. That if it's there, whether you like it or not, let's just say it is like an upset stomach, whether you like it or not, it's there and just how you show up to it. No more than if a baby is crying, you might not know why the baby is crying. It might be fed, it might be changed, but the baby's upset and the why in that isn't that important. It's how you show up. So maybe it's just to acknowledge yourself, this is tough, some self-compassion. Maybe it's attending to it that, oh gosh, I'd love a hot water bottle or you know, some tea would be really nice or maybe I need a five minute walk and just go with that. Go with what feels right for you to just self-support, essentially. Yeah. So don't get drawn into the emotion that it's creating. Yeah. And also maybe not feeling too critical of yourself that, oh, God, like I shouldn't be feeling like this and yeah. getting wrapped up in those narratives. But come back to now that the reason for it, why it's there, you might know, you might not, but what you do with it is much more important in that moment. You'll have loads of time afterwards to try to understand why you're feeling anxious, but just to show up for yourself, I think, is the most important thing in that moment. Yeah, that comes to practice as well. I think with anxiety, it's so easy to get drawn into it. And before you know it, (laughs) your mind is in 10 different places at once and... (laughs) Yeah. All you're seeing is red and everything is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like what we were saying earlier, it's trying not, if you think of the scale where one is that you're like super, super calm to 10 is where you're a volcano erupting. It's trying to catch it earlier on so you don't get to that stage of about to erupt essentially. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of uh, self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard to teach that for yourself. I think it's just something that takes time and patience and kindness with yourself to get to that as well and I think as well you can be doing this for years and years and you'll still be caught off guard and that's okay I don't think we can avoid feeling anxious for the rest of our life and that's okay that when Mm. it does happen it's how you react to it your relationship to it is so much more important yeah I think you're saying once you have the tools you'll probably be able to bounce back a lot quicker yeah and sometimes we'll forget the tools as well depending (laughs) on what's going on for us and old habits are so much easier to do than newer habits as well so again just being really kind to yourself if you find yourself going down an old pathway that that's okay that happens as well and just because it doesn't mean you've reverted back to an old way either that these things happen and just try to be okay with yourself and maybe even saying that trying to be okay with yourself is really hard too yes so just acknowledge that that's okay a lot of um i think we carry a lot of negativity <laughs> it's very difficult to uh yeah. even we yeah. talk about self-compassion that you mentioned that's another thing people find hard to do i think yeah it's really really hard i think for a lot of people it can be their beliefs about self-compassion that doesn't mean that i'm letting myself off the hook or i'm being too nice and a lot of times self-compassion is absolutely it's actually the opposite as well that if you think of compassion if you think of someone like a fireman would you say a fireman is soft or too easy that no a lot of time compassion it shows up when we're suffering and it can be a really 
really great thing. It can be really hard, definitely, depending on, again, maybe past experiences or our beliefs about what compassion is. But it's it's so important, I think, for, yeah. for our mental health as well. Yeah. Great. Sorry. Hi, Ifit. What do you recommend for someone without much support system, aside from the therapist? For example, when they have no friends, this is similar to the last question. Uh, it seems to be a lot of uh, lonely people. A lot of yeah. us seems to be suffering alone, which is doesn't yeah. sound good. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, it can feel like I'm the only one who feels like this or... But the more and more I get into the work, the more common I see, you know, a lot of people feel like this or have this belief that I'm the only one or why am I the weirdo that feels like this? And the truth is, we all feel like this. Some of us may not be aware we feel like this, but a lot of us do feel like this. Um, so for that person, I guess the way I work therapy is that trying for anyone, kind of similar to what we were saying before, it's trying to expand your supports that it's not maybe just one support, but trying to expand it. So whether that be, you know, around friends, family, whether that's professional support, and um, even if you have no one around you, it's like if you have a panic attack and there's no one there, what can you do? So trying to develop your own self-regulation support. So for some people, it might be breathing, grounding, walking, movement, yoga, art, it's trying to develop a little toolbox for yourself that you yeah. can help manage a lot yourself. And then there can be lots of other things, you know, different communities, whether they be mental health communities or they're just wherever your interest lies as well. So it's just trying to find lots of different supports and that will take a lot of time as well. I think maybe reaching out to new supports, that might be a piece of work in itself that, gosh, I'm really nervous about trying something new yeah. and just being kind to yourself and taking your time with that as well yeah i think we'll forget that even with different support groups to approach it like you're always very afraid of what they would think yeah even though there's like hundreds of people already in it <laughs> yeah yeah it's you, so you kind of feel like everyone's looking at you like who's this person <laughs> yeah I think it's not until you actually get into those groups and you begin to feel safe in those groups, you're like, oh, okay, right, I'm not the only one who's like this. And then, but the step to take that is so huge to, you know, to be vulnerable and to go to them places as well. Yeah. And um, why is there still a big stigma around, uh, like, no one wants to talk about I'm going to therapy? Everyone want to talk about, for example, like the prime one is like, I went to the gym, checking in, yeah. look at me. <laughs> but when it comes to therapy, people are like, no, yeah. well, they're not going to mention it. Uh, some people do mention it, which I think something that we should be encouraging because at the end of the day, it, it is your mental health that's more important. But like we check into gyms because it looks cool most of the time. But when you go into therapists, it's like, yeah. not telling anyone that <laughs> is that just obviously it's a it's a bigger picture it's not just one or two people it's a bigger picture but is that just a, a mindset that we need to yeah, shift yeah i think it's definitely changing as you said that some people are beginning to have the conversations but 
I'm not sure. I think it really depends on the individual and maybe because it's not so common now that it maybe feels a bit scary to maybe step out of the norm a little bit. Um, I guess there's many reasons and it'd be quite individual to the person themselves. But yeah, I think there is that stigma. Sometimes I don't even like using the word stigma, but there is this stigma that maybe people will act differently around me or will see you know me differently and if you think of you know generations ago like maybe my grandparents generations that if they admitted to feeling low in themselves there there wouldn't have been therapy it might have been sent straight to maybe you know a psychiatric ward and they might have just stayed there for the rest of their life so there might okay. even be that fear that if I do speak up then this might happen to me so I think there is kind of that worry in how people might perceive me and you know, will people act differently around me? Will I be, you know, maybe ostracized almost as well? So I think some of them fears can be passed down, but also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we more fear of uh, people's opinion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, which is dangerous in itself, but yeah, no. Thank you. Thank you. That was all my questions that I had. That was all my questions. And can I just ask you, what is your hobby, your hobbies like? I know people don't expect like therapists to take holidays. Yeah. Same with doctors. It's like, what do you mean they're on holidays? <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> but like, I think sometimes we forget that like therapists and doctors are just normal people. Yeah. And even when I was introducing myself, I felt like saying I'm a human because we're all humans first before any label or, you know, any yeah. job or any kind of role as well. So my holidays, um, yeah, I just like to chill. They definitely would have changed in the last number of years, but <laughs> it might just be not to overdo it. I think that's maybe what I would have done on holidays before and trying to fit in so much. I would have done lots of traveling, but yeah, my holidays now are just trying to rest and nurture myself, you know, maybe spending time with friends, family, a bit of exploring, but yeah, my holidays are pretty chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all of the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends you might just reach that person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude. <laughs>